Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs called Some Gave It All and um, it really interested me it caught my eye and I got a hold of him and we've been kind of chit-chatting online for a while now the book officially comes out May 1st so we thought we'd do a nice little uh, talk about it so he's here with us in the house and his name's Danny Lane. Uh, thank you for being here, Danny. It's an honor to be on your show, Alan. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, uh, we just we, we just love having uh, uh, good people, good writers, good stories, good good just good. <laughs> yeah, all the way around. <laughs> all the way around. Now, th- this caught my eye, especially because uh, it seems. Um, war has been a part and a big impact on our lives, and I'm I'm 56 here, and uh, and I know for um, you as well, Danny, and and I know for sure with Kevin. Uh, mm-hmm. So so war has been a big part of all of our lives, our whole lives, and quite a few of our parents' lives. And um, this some gave all is uh, through the fire of the Vietnam War. So maybe tell us a little bit about the book itself and how you got into actually writing it. Well, uh, you know, it took me more than two years to really put it together because I did so much research. I did the declassified uh, documents from the Marine Corps to, to verify, you know, what I remember after more than, uh, what, 40-some years after I got back. Also reconnected with some of my squad that was uh, in my unit that were still alive to uh, brainstorm with them. So the biggest thing is, uh, you know, I was there in 68 and 69. That was the height of the Vietnam War. I was a 19-year-old kid. I was homeless at the time. I got a draft notice to go into the Army, uh, you know, so I said, well, I'm not going into the Army because my uh, stepfather that adopted me was a Marine. So I went and joined the Marines at the... uh, at the height of the war, and, and said, you know, get me out of here, save me, because if I didn't, I was going to fall into, you know, a uh, life of crime. I was, like I said, I was homeless, was broke, didn't have a car, didn't have a place to live, and was getting ready to pull a robbery, and that's kind of explained in, in my book. Uh, so, uh, you know, sometimes people hit lows, and then you pick yourself up. So I joined the Marine Corps and, and uh, left town and ended up there in Paris Island, and, uh, you know, they made me, uh, made me a Marine. 
in Paris Island, I met the, another person that's in the book. Uh, he was from Greece. Had just gotten his American citizenship, and we become good friends. And we went through all the boot camp and all the uh, ITR and, and Camp Lejeune. We went to Camp Pendleton together. Went uh, through an, an, uh, advanced infantry training and prisoner of war training. Went to Okinawa, and then we ended up in Vietnam. Like six months later, right in the same uh, same foxhole. So the book is a lot about friendship. It's a lot about. Uh, Mine and the Greeks' uh, adventures there, but, you know, it's a story of survival. It's a story of sacrifice, and it's a story of brotherhood that, that you grow having with other young men in combat that only Greeks can, can have. And You know, but it's, it's much more than that, because when you go through my journey, you also go back through my childhood and, and, and see how I ended up going there and what happened to me. I guess what God's plan was for me at the time I was a kid you don't realize it until these things are happening to you that you don't have control over, that, uh, you know, your life's already uh, laid out for you. You just have to follow that plan and, and execute what's ahead for you. And uh, I started learning that a lot over there because people were, dro- uh, you know, dropping left and right uh, of me all the time. Marines were being killed, and, and uh, you know, I'm still standing and uh, going through this, and you wonder, you know, who's next and so forth. So you pretty much just stop worrying about if you're going to be killed that day or that night and just uh, and just accept whatever your fate is is going to happen and just keep moving forward as a warrior. But in the book, it's kind of an adventure of my oh, more than 300 days in combat in Vietnam and all these missions we were on and how we grew together as young men, young teenagers from all walks of life and and went through all these adventures together, and some of us made it and some of us didn't. But uh, the question is, why did I write it? You know, I've been suffering from post-traumatic stress ever since I come back and didn't know it because in, until 1983, I don't think VA even recognized that that was a problem with veterans. So I, as soon as I got back, I became a police officer. So I'm a, I'm a police officer out there on the streets of America still trying to save America just like I was in war. I mean, I was a very aggressive cop, and like I said, I was trying to save the world, and I had all these emotional problems. I had a lot of anxiety and and all this going on that I didn't know was going on with me, flashbacks and things. And, you know, there wasn't a big study from Vietnam veterans at that time, but, you know, as a police officer, I still had the uh, the adrenaline rush that I got in chasing the bad guys and, and uh, you know, arresting people and an occasional shootout that we'd have, and, you know, it wasn't anything like Vietnam, but I fueled myself with that adrenaline. Yeah. And then, you know, shortly after I got back as well, I become, I got involved in martial arts, so I become a fighter, you know, on the circuit. I become a kickboxer and a professional fighter. And I fueled my adrenaline fuel that way as well. So, you know, as I got older and I kind of retired from doing things so, uh, so professionally, we're into teaching and stuff. I mean, I've always suffered with it and been through a lot of treatments through VA and stuff that didn't work for me. So just a few years ago, you know, my wife saw, you know, I was still struggling with it. And uh, she said, look, you got to write out your story because your story can help other people uh, maybe uh, help them get through it. But you have to write out your story because everybody needs to know your story. So I kind of started writing it, and I met... Uh, one of my students is in my martial arts program. Uh, he's a writer, a, a very accomplished writer, Mark Bowser. And uh, he had a he had a contract with Major Success Publishing there in Seattle through uh, uh, Brian Heathman, who's a very uh, great publisher. Yeah. And so he passed my story by Brian, and Brian said, "Look, I'll sign you to a contract. I want I want to know your story." So that's how this started. Do, do you find it? Um really difficult to um how do i say this so uh, when you came back from the war and you became a, a police officer um were you still trying to fill that some sort of need or some sort of void mm-hmm. that you never were able to do is that sort of what, exactly. yeah and so so how do you, how do you suggest people do that uh that are coming back from war now and or uh, i you know it's really hard for me to say i haven't been so i'm trying to figure out um what needs to be done in the u.s to help people yeah to to kind of preface the question it, it sounds like when you came back danny you almost 
were looking for outlets that were in that same genre that allowed you to still feel that sharpness, that adrenaline that you felt in combat. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I, like I said, I got into martial arts, become a competitor, and you know, I ended up meeting, meeting Chuck Norris in 1980, and I've been uh, working out with Chuck since then during these movies and stuff, but I still fought on the circuit. I was fighting on the streets as a cop. In my pastime, I took a job as a bodyguard. I, I did high-profile bodyguarding in Manhattan uh, against people that had hits on from the mob. I considered being a mercenary overseas. I oh, just boy. couldn't get enough of the adrenaline, and you can never really produce... You know, when you have a Marine company online and you and you're you have all your weapons going, you've got artillery coming in, you've got the jets coming in, and you uh, go into a tree line, you fight these guys hand to hand. I mean, you can't you can't duplicate that in any movie. You can't du- duplicate that in any situation. So you're exactly right. I'm trying to fuel that. You know, I I, I did everything I could to create danger and create this conflict in me so I could either try to handle it or overcome it. And you can never pacify yourself with it because it it doesn't exist. And when you go to veterans and they try to give you medication and Prozac and, you know, uh, all kinds of tranquilizers and and things to try to sedate you, I mean, I couldn't function on those things and still be a cop and still be a martial artist. So, I mean, I had to deal with it. And my therapy and what pretty much got me through it was just basically exercise, working out six uh, hours a day and, and things like that over the many, many years, and then going back on the street and, and finding the bad guy and, you know, making a big arrest and, you know, and pretty much drives you crazy. But, you know, it, it really is hard on the family and people that know you. You drive them away. You don't want them to be involved in your world. Plus, you don't tell them about it. I've never told anybody my story that you'll read in some day all, not even the, the therapist that uh, I've had to be debriefed with as a Marine. They don't know the extent of all these missions we went on, what we did, the atrocities we committed, the atrocities we saw, you know, by killing civilians, men, women, and children uh, in, the, in the course of battle and, uh, until I wrote this book. And like I said, I've written it for kind of like therapeutical purposes, and during the writing of it, you know, I had a lot of breakdowns. I cried a lot writing this book, pouring yes. my heart into it, reliving it all. But, you know, it's been really good. And uh, I'm also an ambassador for a, a veteran's charity called Mission 22. And basically that name comes from almost 22 veterans a day are killing themselves at their own hands. And, you know, that has to stop. I mean, we can help these people. We didn't have a... several treatment programs that take people, and we exercise with them. We take them on hikes. We, uh, you know, we try to do everything except putting them on medication to give them a reason to live instead of finding a reason to die. Because I've almost been there, and I hope this book will help people do that. I mean, when the book opens, you'll see a scene where I'm on a railroad track waiting for an Amtrak to run over me. And that's in the very opening scene right after the flashback that, uh, where the book opens. And then, uh, you know, when the doctors, I'm rushed to a hospital, uh, luckily this person come out of nowhere kind of like a guardian angel and we figured they were winos where these people drank and they laid around the railroad track pushed me off the track right before i got run over but you know i, I collapsed after that and i was taken to a hospital so the book pretty much opens with me in the hospital and the doctors are rushing to try to save my life and find out who i am and what's going on in my mind and then my you know this whole story unfolds in vietnam on what, what drove me to that point 38 years later that I'm in the hospital uh, bed fighting for my life, that what happened to me 38 years earlier in Vietnam is what they're trying to find out. Well, to kind of circle back to Al's question, what would you suggest to those who don't have writing as an outlet, who, who do hold it all in? And Because, I mean, like, like Al said in the beginning of the show, war has become such... You know, such a large part of our lives. I mean, I can't remember a time when we weren't at war. And, well, and here's, here's what I would suggest now that I look back on it, because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't handle it that way. My my therapy was exercise, 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 make you sleep two or three hours a day, get on the street doing something else, and I kind of suppressed my adrenaline and all my anxiety by having these high-risk occupations, you know, being a, a fighter, being a bodyguard, uh, you know, being a cop. But now that I'm retired and, and looking back on it, and what we're doing now is a lot of exercise, change your diet, get off the prescription drugs, 
Get people that love you. Uh, get people that understand your story. Talk it out if you want to talk it out to people like me that's been there, understand and know what you're going through. Because some people, when they read the book, they can't imagine that, that people would go through what we went through. And that's just my story. You know, I mean, of course, I was a Marine, and we were in combat, and we were ground soldiers. I mean, we went in, we did search and destroy. We went into bunkers, and we, we killed people hand-to-hand sometimes. And, you know, and to put a 19-year-old and 20-year-old through that, it almost, almost seems, you know, cruel, but, you know, we were kids, and they transport you into these killing machines, and you're giving the, uh, given the latitude to kill anything that moves. That's a lot of responsibility to put on kids and, and, and Marines. So when you come back and they want you to be a normal person, it's totally impossible because, you know, they debrief you in San Diego for a few days and you yeah. have to pass these tests psychologically and then you're ready to go. But what I've done, you know, you know my wife loves me. And, you know, we, uh, you know, I put it in God's hands. I wasn't overly religious, but I've become more that way in, in recent uh, years because I've had to, you know, you have to ask for forgiveness for doing what you did. But then when you look at the uh, situation we were put in, we were following orders. We took an oath as a Marine to defend our country against all enemies, you know, foreign and domestic, to support the Constitution of the United States and follow the orders of the President. That's exactly what we did. We did what we were told, and we did what we had. So, I mean, you have to forgive yourself, and you have to ask for forgiveness. Then you have to ask your family to love you and understand you because we're going to have bad days. And, you know, we just can't make it all go away, but you can live a happier life, and you have to find a reason to live instead of die like these guys are killing themselves. And and I've been there before. I've looked at a gun before even when I was a cop, just wanting the pain and all the guilt to go away. And, uh, you know, I decided against it because, you know, I had children. I didn't want them to think that, uh, you know, your dad couldn't handle all this. Because everybody's always looked up to me as a Marine, a cop, a martial arts champion, and things like that that nothing, you know, could ever stop me. But they didn't know that I was fighting this uh, battle inside me that was just devastating. I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So, so now when you look back at things, um, and when you were the 19-year-old and the Vietnam War, h- how do you see that war now? Like, there's, there's a lot of controversy about it and, and uh, you know, all sorts of talk about it and, and and how a lot of the vets were treated when they came home from the war was awful. Um, uh, several of my friends, in, inside my book, too, you'll, you'll see a bonus section. You'll see a, a four-day uh, battle of way written by a good friend of mine, John Latego, who wrote Dirty Boys and also The, uh, the Near Enemy. He's a retired FBI agent. He was uh, highly decorated in Vietnam as a Marine. There's also another article in the back of the book uh, written by Colonel uh, Torres. He was in one of the battles of, of, with me, and uh, as a young Marine, 19-year-old Hispanic guy from New York City, we all had the same stories. We were young kids putting in a situation. It got political. They didn't let us do our job. Uh, they didn't mm-hmm. let us bomb the north. They didn't let us go in, in there. We would take ground, and we, we would give it back, and it, it got so discouraging because we're out in the jungle one of the missions i described in the book was 93 days you lose track of time and what's going on we fight for these mountains we take these hills we we sacrifice all these men are killed and then as soon as we take this hill we get we get an helicopter and get it right back to them and then you know two or three months later we come back to the same place and fight them again i mean it, it, it was so ridiculous i mean never-ending yeah. cycle yeah, yeah. In contradiction to yeah. what, in contradiction to what some of the uh, declassified documents I had on all these officers' report, they were talking about the morale being high. They were talking about the success. And you know, the biggest joke of the whole thing is the politicians. You know, LBJ and this uh, McNamara, who was the Secretary of State, I think at the time, or the uh, he was in charge of whatever. He made all these decisions. They blatantly lied to the American public about what was going on over there. And it got down to where, you know, okay, it got down to, you know, a body count. I just find it so amazing when I read all these reports on how many bodies that we killed of them, which there was no way of knowing. 
we only knew how many soldiers we we uh, we lost because you know we had record of who who we were. But there was no way after the battle we had of how many dead pe- uh, bodies were out there because there was nobody out there counting them. Right. And they just made that up as fictitious. And they wanted the American public to know. Well, you know, the Marine there was eight hundred Marines killed, but you know we killed uh, two thousand MDA. It was all about us winning and killing more of them than us, and it was a fabrication that they, they uh, told the American public, and it was all political. And that's what ang- angers all of us, Vietnam veterans, because they just lied about everything that was going on over there. Yeah, continuous. And uh, and then the way they treat you when you're back, I, th- th- it, that's, mm-hmm. it, it's atrocious. Yeah, that was a joke. When I got into San Diego, I hadn't turned 21 yet, so I... I got thrown out of the first bar. I went in to try to get a beer, and I wasn't even able to buy it either. I said, I just got back from Vietnam. You know, I'm a Marine. They said, we don't care. You can get your butt out of here. You know, you don't have an ID. Oh, they couldn't so even I, give I, you a... Yeah. I went and bought a fake ID for $650 just so I could drink a beer when I go back. Back <laughs> then, <laughs> that was a fortune. Yeah. Oh, well, I had, to, I had to pay for... I had, Two uh, AK-47s I brought back as souvenirs. We were allowed to bring two back, back two weapons, and so I sold them each to uh, somebody. And then I got a, this uh, Marine Corps ID on a black market uh, over there. I guess they had Social Security numbers and people that had been deceased. So I become William Elbig instead of Danny Lane. You know, and had my picture on my Marine Corps ID. So I said, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. You know, I'm not. Have Have I'm you ever gone back? Have you ever gone back to Vietnam or, or since no, then? You, no. You know, the sad thing of it is, you know, it was more than 20 years before I even put my medals up. And then I had to order them from the Marine Corps. They didn't give us our medals when we got back. There was no parades. There was nothing. There was no fanfare. They gave me two options. Look. You've been in the military. I mean, you're in the infantry, so we can't send you back to Vietnam right now. So you can either go to Spain, we'll promote you to sergeant, or you can get out. So I said, well, I'll just get out because I had a, a job waiting on me at the police department. So, you know, then 20-some years, I, I finally en- ended up ordering my medals, you know, for my DT-214, put them up on the wall, started being proud of what I did instead of ashamed of what I did. And... uh you know, just just now recently, you know, people are starting to talk about Vietnam. There's some really great books come out. You know, the Battle of Way, and uh, uh, there's some other ones that, that's over there, and, and talking about post-traumatic stress, and this uh, this series that they did on public broadcasting that uh, yeah. was a very good mini series. He did a really good good job on that, but you yeah. know. Uh, the public needs to know this stuff. We didn't lose any war. We just left and let them have it. You know. Let them have the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of misinformation as usual. Um, but uh, our Vietnam veterans are are killing themselves. The ones that are they're still alive still have trouble. So my mission with this book and my mission with speaking is getting out there, doing talking to veterans, getting on talk shows, doing whatever I can to let people know our story. That uh, we need to have our own parade. You know, you know, President Trump did name, what was it, uh, March 29th Vietnam Veterans Day. But, you know, I'm on Facebook, and nobody even said anything about it. I mean, it, goes, it went right by, and nobody said, well, happy Vietnam Veterans Day. You know, they still don't honor us. Yeah, they never but, had our parade. I, I, I agree, I agree. And I see that, uh, you know, it's become like the cliche thing, you know. And I'm sitting in the airport yeah. for hours, and, and every time they announce to load a flight, it's... Uh, Oh, and veterans, thank you for your service. It's almost like something people say. It's compulsory almost. Yeah, it's almost like, hi, how are you? Thank you for your service. But what frustrates me is nobody is willing to do anything. Like, you know, Trump can name that as, you know, Vietnam Day, but then let's do something. And not just a parade, but let's help people that need help. And uh, Yeah, go ahead. I was... Iraq and, uh, and, you know, Syria, I mean, they're scarred, and they, they don't have constant days in combat like we did. I, th- I think, you know, their biggest fear is being blown up with a, an IUD or something like that. And yes. They, you know, a lot of these movies are made, like, on based on one experience. But you take, you take us, a, a Marine company, you're on operations more than 300 days out of your year over there in a jungle in, in an area of operation. I mean, everything happens every night. 
even if you're not in contact, you're in fear of stepping on a booby trap or, uh, you know, getting your throat slit on an ambush or something like that. It's just, it was totally, uh, it was a, a constant trauma. And, you know, psychologically it plays a big game uh, on you. But, you know, that's why, uh, you know, when we come back, you know, they didn't really have the treatment set up for us. They didn't really understand us. They didn't really think that we went through all that stuff. These stories that are coming out now, you know, when I wrote the book, I left out a bunch of scenes, and some of my thoughts said, well, you got to write the helicopter scene, you know, where we were shot down behind enemy lines over in, in Laos. And, you know, if you ever watch the movie Platoon, we were pursued by the NBA for several days and nights in a jungle where they were trying to kill us before we could get an extraction. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Action helicopter in to get out of there. Plus, we had dead and wounded we were carrying with us. So it was one scene that I didn't write in the original book. And some of my squad said, you got to do that. And I said, I will refresh my memory. And, and uh, you know, there it's in the book towards the end. Mm-hmm. So, it's, uh, you know, I just want to bring honor to all the veterans and, and help all the veterans if I can. You know, once you're in combat, I mean, there's only, only so many ways you can be shot at and, and so forth. I mean, I, I have two Purple Hearts. I didn't have the third one, but I could have had a hundred, you know, if we got one for every wound that we got. We just, the Purple Hearts are when you really can't function anymore or they have to, you know, have a corpsman come up and sew you up or something. But, uh you know, my little squad, we, uh, a lot of us got uh, Medals of Honor, you know, the Bronze Star, uh, Vietnam Valley, uh, Gallagher Cross. We got several dozen Purple Hearts and, and so forth, just in the little, the gun guys that we were in. And, uh, you know, we were just kids you know, and uh, going through a time that uh, and, and doing what we were told. And, uh, you know, America should be proud of us. I mean, you, you know, my... my all my kids were older than 19, but I couldn't imagine any of my kids at 19 going to war. Yeah. I mean, uh, they, they're on their cell phone, and, you know, they like to play video <laughs> games, and they don't even want to, you know, bother, be bothered, much less, you know, being in combat and drop in a hot LZ and, you know, go kill these people. <laughs> yeah, the, the most combat they see is on Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's true, though. 
So, Danny, you've uh, consulted with your other squad members that you were able to put back together for the writing of this book. What are their feelings, and, and, and how do they feel about the book and, and their input into it? Well, they haven't seen the finished product. I mean, I've, I've given them a sneak preview on it, but they are very excited that they'll be honored in it and uh, named in it, and then, then our story and our legacy will carry on. So... Now, what 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 is the um, one memory that you can share with the uh, listeners um, in Vietnam that still still stays with you today? We don't have a lot of them. Would it be would it be on a mission? Is it a question about a mission or just my overall experience? Your overall experience. Or- well, you know, I, I, I grew from a kid to a man, like, overnight. I mean, you grow up fast. You uh, and, and Marines teach you, no matter what, if something happens to a superior above you, you have to step up and lead. And so, you know, through that, uh, you know, more than, than a year that I was there and all those combat missions, I mean, I grew up a lot. You know, you know and being near death helps you open up a new spiritual side of you where you just stop worrying about death and worrying about dying, but you leave it in God's hands, and then you're not afraid anymore. I mean, I was never afraid after I got to that point, look, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I don't have any control over it. And I I was that way as a cop when I got back, too, and people didn't understand it. I just look. After you face fear and conquer it, and you get to the other side, then you're not afraid anymore. And that was the biggest thing, I guess, is learning how to handle fear, conquer, and get onto the other side where you can actually do your job under a high-stress situation and not and not uh, not react. So my biggest memory is just, is, is just surviving when so many others didn't. And why am I still here? And I guess that's why I'm here to write this book. You know, it's, it's, things just happen that way. It's like when I met Chuck Norris, you know, everybody said, well, you know Chuck Norris? Well, Chuck's just an average guy like we are. He was in the Air Force and his brother sadly got killed in Vietnam, and Chuck has a really big passion about uh, the military in Vietnam. And, and you know, but through a series of events, you know, we had mutual friends, and we were led together. And we've been uh, together. I just saw him two weeks ago in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And we've been friends for 38 years, and I've known him before he was a big movie star. And, you know, people cross people's paths, just like me and a Greek in this book for a reason, and it's a journey we take together, and you just don't fight it, you just roll with it. Like this book, I never anticipated writing it until two years ago, then all of a sudden it's come pouring out of me, and here it is. It's going to become a reality on May the 1st, and people will either like it or not like it, but if you read the endorsements, it's been uh, endorsed by high-ranking Marine Corps officers that are really uh, complimenting me for writing the book. So, I've got to ask this because every soldier or marine, I'm sorry, you know, we, it's amazing what you can come up with to keep your morale up in the, in the middle of the crap. So what did you, what kind of things did you guys do to keep up each other's morale? Uh, we played tricks on people, uh, on each other a lot, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't think you read the book and stuff, but we you know we would. Uh, what would we do out there? I mean, just tease each other. We'd throw bayonets at each other, you know, and see how close we come to each other's feet. And then we would, you know, just make fun of each other any way we could. And every once in a while, you know, somebody would get a package, you know, from the world, which would be, you know, have a little bit of liquor in it or some potato chips or something like that. So we would all go crazy over stuff like that, and you know. You get out there, you get pretty much <laughs> delirious. I mean, uh, two of my squad, you know, wanted to go on R&R, and we, we were really battle-weary, and, and you'll read about it in the book. So I said, you, you want to go on R&R, just you know, drop your pants off, throw a grenade out here, and, you know, you'll get a little shrapnel on your butt and go to Tokyo <laughs> for a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, they, they, they were fighting about who was going to throw the grenade, and they, they were convinced about, you know, okay, we'll do that, but make sure, you know, you throw it far enough out because we don't want to get killed. And they kept arguing about who was going to throw the grenade, so I just pulled the pin, and I, and I threw it out and said, you got three seconds to make a decision. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, then, 
So when the grenade blew up, you know, blew debris all over them, but they didn't get any shrapnel uh, to the point that they would be medevaced. And so, you know, everybody thought we were being attacked, so they opened up, and, you know, we had to call in that, you know, uh, everything was okay. But the next morning, I guess when I threw the grenade out, it landed behind a log, and it, it absorbed most of the blast. So, you know, we didn't. We laughed about that, but then, you know, they didn't try it anymore after that. They thought I was crazy, but, you know, I got tired of them saying, you know, I'm, I'm sick of this stuff. I need to get out of here and stuff. And I said, well, I'll drop your pants and I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a soldier, I'm picturing it in my head. You know, you got this ring of guys with their pants down all pointing in a, in a circle, <laughs> and you're tossing a grenade in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to the average person, that's got to sound, you know, insane, but it makes perfect sense. No, not when you're out there and not knowing if that's your last day or not. You know, we're getting hit every day, and we've been through some, uh, they actually sent us over to Laos to stop the uh, the uh, NBA, you know, regulars coming down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And so we're over there, and, and you know, you, they've got 20,000 of them coming at us, and we've got 100-something men on, on the mountain. You know, and they overrun us and, and did us a job for about three or four days and nights, you know, to the point we were almost out, out of ammunition. And sometimes these Marine Corps uh, commanders that draw up these battle plans, you know, they don't have any any clue how they're going to turn out. They look good on paper, you know, but they're going to execute them, but uh, was not. So I, I, I had to question sometimes the uh, the people who drew up some of, some of these great ideas. It sounds good. Let's go over here and drop, you know. Uh, block all these people coming down from the north. And if you ever seen any video footage, you see how they come down. And, mm -hmm. and, and the trucks and under the cover of darkness, and then, you know, they come down thousands of times. I mean, we were right there in the uh, in the middle of them trying to block them from coming into the south as a blocking force, and we were out and gunned and outmanned and everything. And we, it was a suicide mission for us. Yeah. And, and like you said, after a while, you just don't fear death anymore. Um, my, my father was in Vietnam, 67 and 68. And during the Tet Offensive, he was actually pinned down in an old French guard shack for three days. And every time he'd bring his head up, you know, they would open fire on him. And finally, he just said, you know what? If it's going to happen, today's going to be the day. And he got up and walked out in the middle of rifle fire. Yeah, that's amazing. But now, uh, all of these experiences, you know, from Vietnam to your, your police work, uh, you know, to your martial arts, all of that has led you to a detective group, if I understand right. Do you do private investigations, or did you at some point? Yeah, I still do. I do high-profile uh, private investigative uh cases. I've done over 200 murder cases as a, a PI in the last uh, 38 years. Oh, wow. And I've uh, been hired as an expert in a lot of cases, and, and I'm actually writing some memoirs on, on a lot of my uh, top cases, murder mysteries and things like that that you may be interested in down the line. But, uh, yeah, I still do that. Uh, like I say, I'm trying to retire, but every time I, you know, the phone rings and somebody has a, a nice advanced retainer, I always change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I've trained my wife to be a PI. She's probably better than me now, just like I taught her how to shoot, and she's a better shot than me. So she's uh, she and I work together. It's kind of like uh, heart to heart, you know, the old Robert Wagner and uh, yes, uh, yeah, we're the other ourselves now. <laughs> yeah, and then you know we have our adventures. Uh, we do surveillance, and we we have to dress up and go in these bars and, and search for people. Then we work murder cases. We work all kinds of. Uh, I mean, we just work. A wide variety of cases. It's pretty interesting, but uh, you know, I'm really ready to retire and just make some money on writing books. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, you know that that retainer, that that money, you know, it, it it'll change a man's mind. Yeah, I, when we stay busy. I mean, we develop a real estate company. We buy and flip houses. And we're, uh, you know, we have two on the market right now, and there's always a mystery. And, something going on with them, and I'm thinking, well, what next? You know, my ultimate goal and her goal was to buy the beach house on the beach and walk hand-in-hand hand barefooted down the beach, you know, like everybody had that dream. So we're, we're trying to get there in the next couple of years, but I don't know if that'll happen or not. Now, do you, now Danny, do you, do you travel around and, and lecture at veterans groups or, or VA hospitals? 
That is my intention. As soon as the book comes out, I have a lot of people waiting to see it, so that will be my goal is to get scheduled to do those. I've sent out a lot of articles, and I've written a uh, about a 10-page memo called The Reality of Combat, and it talks about the psychological conditioning of a, of a combatant, what you have to go through in order to be able to react and survive in a situation, and also what you have to do to survive after it. So it's pretty uh, heavy and tense. It's been endorsed by the Marine Corps. It's been taught and uh, used as a guide uh, to help these veterans overcome things. I'd be glad to send that to you. But mainly I still do a lot of martial arts uh, uh, seminars. I'll be in Seattle the second weekend of September doing a three-day clinic there in Shoreline. And uh, we have an affiliate there, USA Karate and Shoreline. I'll be there training people for uh, two days. I teach personal protection and things of that sort. But uh, that'll be my goal is to get out to more veterans groups and anybody that would listen. But uh, also, you know, we do motivational talk where you actually, uh, it's basically based on overcoming atrocities uh, and achieving, you know, greatness through overcoming obstacles and, and atrocities. So you can go through these things, overcome them, and then you can actually put that into a business plan and say, you know, and my wife always has this saying, you know, anytime I get frustrated or have anxiety and get irritated about something, she said, well, it's not as bad as Vietnam is. I started laughing about it. <laughs> 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 so I know nothing was bad as Vietnam. She said, well, you got to put it in the right context, you know. It, you know, nothing would be that bad again. So, you know, it's not all that bad to start with. So we have, she has fun with that when I, I get this anxiety over somebody and or something that's going on uh, that no, no. Nothing's nothing that bad, I don't guess. <laughs> well, you because know, it, it'd be nice to see you. Um, actually, I'd like to see you in September up in Seattle. But it, it'd be well, great to see you move around and, and, and speak to also police groups, because I think that this wisdom you know, goes beyond military. Uh, like you said, a lot of us veterans go into some type of police work, and I think it's subconsciously because we want to feel that, sense of being alive again, for lack of better terms. Yeah, I, I miss being in, in law enforcement uh, very much. I, I left under duress. I worked a high-profile murder case as a detective and it involved some corrupt cops inside my own department, which I tried to get indicted. But, uh, you know, I went to trial three times over a period of six and a half years. And uh, because of who I tried to take down inside our department, it destroyed my career. And I had to walk away to keep from actually uh, killing uh, some of my own people because, I mean, in some in some agencies, you got people that are bad people that either are involved in drug trafficking or murder in this case, uh, you know, stopping witnesses from testifying. And this case I'm talking about actually had uh, the uh, organized crime involved in it with a drug uh, running in from Columbia, South America. So I walked away to keep from killing somebody and going to prison for the rest of my life. I ended up walking away, turning the badge, and, you know, I was with Chuck Norris at that time, and, you know, as soon as some movies with Chuck, I did Code of Silence in 85 in Chicago as a stuntman, and he was getting me more involved. So I had, you know, I had something to go to. I had the schools, I had uh, some Chuck Norris schools. Uh, they were doing well, and I said, you know, why go to prison for killing this piece of crap when I can just go ahead and walk away and, you know, somebody else will kill him for us. Uh, on down the line, and he'll die a miserable death. And uh, true, so I did that. You know, instead of waiting for 20 years to retire, I left at 15 years to keep from uh, doing something stupid. So uh, actually, it's uh, one of the cases I'm writing now. One of the books I'm writing now is called 1523 Charleston. That's where this murder happened. Where I walked in as a homicide detective and found this girl still breathing, but had been shot in the head to make it look like a suicide. So this whole case involves me figuring out how she got there, who killed her, or did she shoot herself, and who was responsible for it. So the whole book unraveled this whole murder conspiracy involving an organized crime and also dirty cops. Well, that sounds like a whole other show we'll have to have you on for. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it has to be a fiction type of novel because some of the people still are alive and still could be indicted for it, even though they probably won't. But you know, I had to change the names to uh, to not, you know, for lit litigation purposes. 
Right. Well, you know, like they used to open with Dragnet, you know, names have been changed to protect the innocent or not so innocent. <laughs> you know how we get away yeah. with that, Danny, is we call it historical fiction. Well, it's about that. I'm, I'm about, you know, I'm going to make it more of a short story and not make it a 240-page novel, but it, it, it'll probably be done in two or three months if I get back to writing on it. I went along just book and go on a book signing tour a little bit with uh, Barnes & Noble's already ordered 350 copies for the book for their stores, and, of course, it'll be an audio uh, version, Kindle, and online on Amazon, Books A Million, uh, Barnes & Noble, plus if they go to somegaveitall.com, there's a lot of information on there about the book and other other uh, marine uh, and uh, missions that's on there, Acts of Valor, that, uh, these other marine missions of people that have shared their stories with me. We're hoping to make that a blog for people to be able to post their stories of, uh, of, uh, of Valor that they did and tell the world, you know, their story. Everybody has a story and everybody needs to know it. Right. Now, you also yeah, have another website, uh, dannylane.com. Yeah, that's my multi-purpose website because I have my martial arts uh, studios on there. I have my private investigative firm on there. I have uh, the uh, new video series I just did with a CI agent, Jason Hansen, uh, called Spy Combat. It is on there. So you can just click on a banner and it takes you to different, different business uh, uh, opportunities or services that I do and, and have. And uh, Jason and I are, are have developed a new program. It's really for the general public, you know, where we teach, uh, you know, active shooter stuff. We teach uh, how to survive in any situation, being kidnapped, duct tape, or tied up, handcuffed, stuck in trunks of cars, and, you know, along with the basic self-defense. So the spy combat is, is uh, he's been on Shark Tank. He's been on uh, NBC News with Lester Holt. And he's been on Dateline. He's been on, we had our own show over on the, uh, the strip in Las Vegas at the stratosphere for a while where people would come up out of the audience and show people how to survive, you know, these uh, different types of attacks. So it, it's a up-and-coming uh, way of, of self-defense for the general public. You don't have to be in great shape. You don't have to go to school. You can watch the videos or attend one of our seminars or something like that and learn all these secrets that, you know, that we teach. Well, what if I like the handcuffs, Danny? Well, then we'll just uh, double lock them and throw away the key. <laughs> <laughs> so, Danny, how can how can people and and I'm a, I'm especially talking you know to veterans out there. Uh, how can people get in touch with you personally and and take advantage of of your military experience and how you've overcome a lot of the things that have happened to you? Well, through both of my websites, dannylane.com and also somegaveitall.com, there are online forms where they can fill out and put their personal information. I get right back to them. Plus, my phone numbers on my Facebook uh, page. I mean, it's very easy to get a hold of. I mean, there's like there's the only other pop. If you Google me, it pulls up, you know, like thousands of different pages of, of data that people can get in touch up with me uh, very easily. And I... I I have veterans that get a hold of me already and tell me their stories and tell me about their dreams and their nightmares. And, you know, I'm already, you know, talking to these people, and it's very gratifying that I can help them, and, and I'm trying to help them through some of their hard times because, you know, people that uh, are even in their later years, they're not really that healthy and so forth, and they're still suffering. You know, I've been doing – I've been back 50 years uh, this year, and I'm, and I'm still suffering. I mean, I still have sleepless nights. I still have anxiety. I still have all these things. But the only way I can get over it, I go to the gym and uh, hit the weights. I go upstairs and we have a home gym and hit the heavy bag and, and kick a few times. And, you know, I do things that, uh, that just distracts my mind from going back into that deep black hole that we I've been in for all these years. I mean, you know, the uh, post-traumatic stress, I mean, it affects who you are. It... it, it, it really robs you of your happiness, of your love, your ability to love, and, and robs you of, of just being a normal person. And veterans, you know, they just don't understand where we're coming from. They have all these treatments, and they put you on all this medicine. I could give you a picture of all the medicine these people have given me, and you'd think that I was a drug addict. And, you know, you go in there, and they want to put you on a prescription. Well, we'll see you in three months or six months. I mean, it, and it's a joke. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It, and it doesn't stop the dreams or, no, or, the, or the survivor's guilt, you know, yeah. if I can just throw that in. 
Well, it's like I had a, you know, I, have, I ended up on my on the back of the book. You'll see something. It's, you know, at the very last sentence, it says, "War is hell," but for some, surviving is worse. And that's why so many people kill themselves because they can't stop the pain. They would have rather died over there than come home and face what they have faced for fifty years. A lot of them, and, and I've almost been there. So many, many times that I'd rather die than go through another day and take another breath. And you know. Uh, through the love of my wife and understanding with her, and you know, she she seen me do it and, and threatened to do it. She said, you know, you gotta you gotta get some other help. You gotta write this out. You gotta get through this somehow. You can't get through it until you ask forgiveness. You gotta let this thing go before it destroys you. And that's the message of it. If you don't let it go, it will destroy you and it will kill you. That's why we call it the silent killer. Yes, sir. Well, b before we. Before we run out of any more time, Danny, one veteran to another, I want to give you a, a heartfelt thank you. You know, thank you for speaking out. Thank you for writing this book and, and thank you for being with us today and sharing your experiences. Well, I had been unspoken for almost 50 years before I started writing the book, so, but I've got a lot to say now, as you can tell. <laughs> yes, and, uh, I'm going to be in Seattle the second week of, uh, of, uh, September, and both of you guys have an invitation not to come and meet for a talk, but to work out with me, and I, I pattern my seminars for the general public as well, and so, you know, I'm challenging you guys to come up in the, to Shoreline. I'll send you the address and work out with me either Friday or, or Saturday or both days and learn something and, and, you know, share some time together and get to know each other. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a good thing you're telling us in April. I got training to do then. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to gotta get in shape for this. I haven't had a I haven't had a ring fight since '96. Well, we're not going to put on the clubs and fight, but it'll be you know it'll be realistic stuff to dance, and you know maybe I can duct tape you up and see if you can get out of. Oh, now that I'd pay for. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, Danny, well, thank you. Uh, it's a date, you know. I'm already booked to go out there, and then you know I'll send you the uh, the address and so forth. So. I'd like for you to come, and if you want me to be back on the show or out there, let me know so I can stay out an extra day or two and, and, uh, and put that on my schedule. Absolutely. Yeah. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.